So Patty, John Graham talking to us about email automation and, and really, you know, that's the, the large topic, but really the practical thing is increasing margin on your Clover accounts. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is a no brainer. I mean, yeah. right. I mean, this is something that everybody knows. Email marketing is a good thing. Yes. And, you know, why shouldn't the ISO and the agent be capitalizing on this? And Absolutely. I think what John's offering, it's an excellent way to do that. Yep, and it's an opt-out for uh, yes. for Clover and if you're a large ISO. that's what makes it great. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep, and absolutely. Then, and then, James, you had a, you know, your questions in the field. I really like what we did this week. Would you like to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we we actually hear a question from the field. So uh, uh -huh. I, I recorded a video separately uh, answering a question from somebody about marketing, online marketing, and kind of more how to use social media online marketing as an agent or a small ISO. Right. And I uh, give that answer. And so you'll get to see that video or hear the uh, the uh, question and the response here uh, and during that segment. And then tell us about the insiders. Oh, we have a, uh, a new security flaw that's been unveiled um, in Apple Pay um, with regards to uh, Visa cards that yep. have been loaded onto app, onto the Apple Pay digital wallet. I think, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's like I said before, I think we've all been waiting for some of these security flaws to come out because yep. they're always going to be some. And yep. uh, this it's what's really interesting is Visa and Apple's response to it. Yep. Yep. Well, let's not forget to mention our sponsor, of course, NMI. So yes. if you go to ccsalespro.com slash NMI, I'm actually going to change where that link takes you for the next couple of weeks. Oh, cool. um, that link is going to take you to a registration page for a free live event um, that I'm doing. Uh, I put this together with NMI and Stacks, formerly Fat Merchants. Okay. Um, and we're talking about becoming a next gen ISO. And so Excellent. Uh, it's really going to be interesting. I'll talk more about it later in the podcast, but just if you go to ccsalespro.com slash NMI, um, it'll take you to that registration page. Make sure you reserve your seat while you can. I'm sure the event will sell out. It'll be really popular and I'll be promoting it here in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Thanks, James. So are you ready to go? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, Patty and I are here today with my good friend, John Graham. How are you doing today, John? Doing excellent. How are you? Doing great, man. Doing great. So uh, really excited today to talk about how agents and ISOs can really increase margin on Point, Clover, especially in these other terminals using automated email marketing. So we're going to be diving into that today. Um, before we do, for those that don't know your story, John, Give us a little bit of a background. How did you get into this? How'd you end up starting Table Crunch? And then give us a little company update, kind of what's the, the big picture of what Table Crunch is all about today. Absolutely. So I've been in the business, as you know, for about a decade now. Um, it kind of started on the payment processing side, ultimately got dragged over to the POS side. Now I'm working pretty much exclusively on the software and technology side. And um, just like kind of a company update right now, um, as far as product goes, um, we're working on like advanced email marketing analytics. So I think we talked a lot in the ebook we did about, you know, Table Crunch right. as a whole is an automated email marketing platform. Essentially, you know, we pull data from POS systems to automate, you know, marketing campaigns, and then we leverage payment data to actually track the result of those campaigns. But historically, we didn't show like the merchant that it was actually James Shepard that, you know, opened the email and then he came into the retailer the next day, swiped the credit card, and right. he ordered right. Fish tacos. Um, so we're excited about that. We just think it's going to provide like more durable ROI to the merchant, give them a little more peace of mind that, you know, what we're showing them is real and that the product works. So. Cool. Yep. Love it. Love it. So where, where I want to start the conversation today, um, I want to zero in on Clover for a second because 
I personally believe this is such a big opportunity for those who have Clover. Um, there, I know so many agents, and I, I know agents that have a hundred or more Clover accounts. They yeah. haven't been able to increase the margin on them, you know. And these people are totally locked in. They're looking for additional value, but they haven't increased the margin. Um, I know ISOs that have thousands, you know. So when yeah. we talk about these Clover accounts, walk me through, walk our audience through the experience for the merchant that they've got Table Crunch already. So they, they install Table Crunch. It's on their Clover device. What exactly do they do and how does this help them grow their business? Great question. So um, the first thing is it's going to help them to communicate to their customers, which is something that a lot of merchants just simply aren't doing today. So just like process, you know, as you mentioned, like they are on Clover, they're going to go to the marketplace, connect table crunch from there. They kind of have a couple different avenues they can go first and foremost, if they just want to send like one off email campaigns to their customers, you know, we have a drag and drop builder with like 18 different templates. Um, they can do that. So like if they're promoting an event or it's holiday sales, whatever it may be, they can go in whenever they want. They can communicate with their customers. If they're an owner operator, they're just, you know, too busy to do that, which is a lot of folks out there. Um, they can leverage the automation where you just kind of set it and forget it. And then it's going to send out campaigns to the customers. Like an example of the automation would be, let's say James goes into a restaurant um, you check out, give them an email, or maybe you order online from that restaurant, but then you don't come back for 90 days. So we can set up automated campaigns for those lapsed or lost customers where it's just going to send them an email saying, hey, we miss you. You know, here's a dollar off your next visit. And then um, we also have a lot of customers who just do a combination of both. Frankly, that's probably the bulk of the customers. Um, but then from a financial impact, all they have to do is log in and just look at the results. Because again, we're leveraging that payment data so you can actually really see, you know, how is this impacting my business? Um, and I always like to kind of talk about, you know, retailers like, you know, big box retailers, like they know the importance of communicating with your customers. So, right. you know, if you're looking for a financial impact, um, email marketing is one of the fastest ways to get, you know, immediate increase in revenue by just simply adopting communication with your customers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, I see it with myself so much. You know, if I get a, a you know, a, a, an email that's directed at me and my tastes, yeah. I'm going to react to it. You know, um, let me let me if you, we can drill down just a little bit, John. I'm wondering, you know, from the ISO agent perspective, um, you know, let's say I have like maybe a hundred, um, you know, point or clover or packs counts on you know in my portfolio and i reach out to all of them and you know with this with this offer and let's say i get 20 that agree to move forward what's my involvement what do i have to do to get the merchant up and running that's a great question um the short answer is it's very minimal so we really put a lot of emphasis with this product on making onboarding very quick so like to onboard a single merchant's like one to three minutes um, and okay. really, you know, the process is simple. Like for those 20 merchants, you would just give those to our team here at Table Crunch. A lot of times you're just going to email members at Table Crunch. Um, generally speaking, same day, depending on the volume, we'll send you back usernames and passwords. And then within the software, you just click to authorize whatever POS system you're using. That's going to suck all the data out of there. And then you're really ready to start, you know, marketing to the customer. So um, it's very minimal. And then it really depends on size. Like, you know, our profile client is like an ISO with a hundred plus integrated merchants. Um, if they have like a thousand merchants, uh, we have different packages where, you know, our team can just handle everything for them. Um, and we're willing to kind of work with them on what makes sense there. So. 
Yeah. Is this is this labeled um, as table crunch or, or can it be private labeled? I'm sorry if I do um, today it's table crunch. We've actually interviewed like quite a bit of like the ISO community, okay. and the overwhelming feedback was people didn't really care if it was white labeled or not. So okay. uh, we've thought about doing that, um, but as of today, it's just you know table crunch branded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting how <clears throat> the ISOs care about certain things being white labeled right. and other yeah. things not being white labeled. Um, I think when it comes to marketing, they don't look at that as um, fully integrated into the payments in a way, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, and and the other thing too, is I think you're going after um, ISOs that are selling Clover. Yeah. So clearly they don't have a big problem promoting a different technology company's brand. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, they're used to selling different apps through the marketplace. Right. Um, when you talk about, though, the integration with payments, that is one thing that I always like to bring up is that, you know, this actually is true. Is, I know. Because yes. it right. doesn't work without the payment processing. Yeah, right. You know, when they're right. leading with it, it's kind of uh, makes the payments conversation cool. Yeah. Like, hey, look what we can do with this and show you our Right. Sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, let's so let's dive into that a little bit more because my next question is is kind of along those lines. So, yep. You know, we have both sides now. We understand kind of what this is like for the merchant. We understand what this is like for the agent, the ISO, um, and that process. So um, let's talk about, you know, email marketing in general. So I know there's a lot of solutions out there that are very popular. You know, I talk about MailChimp, Drip.com, others like this. So I know a lot of business owners are using those, or at least they have accounts. (laughs) How much they're using them, I don't know. But talk about why is TableCrunch better why is it different from these other competitors and you know what it what is it about table crunch that makes it you know better to use for them for the merchant to actually get some results from it yeah that's a great question and actually in the ebook we just published we put yeah. out a statistic that said two-thirds of merchants are using email marketing right. and after we published it i kind of drilled into that and what i realized was i think that statistic pertains to franchises um, because, you know, a lot of franchises, they're going to provide sure. opening for the franchisees. Yeah. So kind of what we find here internally, and I don't have hard data on this, but just right. talk to the team. We think for like SMBs, one to 10 locations, it's more like four out of 10 or 40%. So yeah. it's a relatively low number, but, yeah, right. um, you know, usually what you're going to find is they're using kind of a legacy system like MailChimp or Constant Contact. And I think perhaps like the most glaring advantage we have over those folks is the access to the payments data, right? Because like if you're using MailChimp, you're getting really like trivial metrics like opens and clicks that frankly business owners just don't really care about. They want to know the full story. So now that we can leverage, you know, that payments data, we can show them exactly what the impact is from a financial standpoint. And then also to kind of build on that, which is just really has to do with POS integration is the automation of the customer records. So mm-hmm. if you're using MailChimp or Constant Contact, you know, if you're a business, you're collecting emails, if not daily, definitely weekly, monthly. So when you go to send those campaigns, what do you have to do? With MailChimp, you got to import and export on a regular basis. It's just time consuming. So, you know, we pull that data daily. And then finally, perhaps the one thing that people really don't think about is how clean is the data? So it's actually mm-hmm. funny. You would think that people using MailChimp and Constant Contact are going to their POS to pull their data. That's actually not always true. Usually the first place they go is their website. Sure. Uh, and ultimately the website data is just nowhere near as clean as POS data. Cause you know, right. if I'm going to a retailer and I want an email receipt, why would I put in a fake email? Or if I'm ordering online, you know, why would I put it in a fake email if there's a problem with my order? Whereas when you go into the website, you know, a lot of times maybe 
it's a, you know, salesperson, like a, someone trying to sell you payment processing, you know, they might fill out a form um, to where you're just going to get a lot more bounced emails and just not as clean data overall. So there's several advantages, but um, just the connections with PLS is really, you know, the, the biggest advantage overall. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, in order to target people through a MailChimp or a drip.com, I mean, you know, to your point, you've either got to do some, I mean, you know, it's like, what are you going to go into Clover and say, show me all the customers that haven't been here in 90 days export that list right mm -hmm. then yeah. go into drip and import it then create right. my campaign like no there's no business owners out there that are doing that yeah. that's insane right yeah. like, what they're doing is they're just doing the mass email they're not doing the automated targeted stuff right yeah exactly like you can't leverage SKU data right. um and then really with like you know if you go into clover's like you know actual customer database like you can't really do like emails just last 90 days like so a lot of that sophistication okay. is what we've just built out with the automation to where you know, you can leverage those, uh, you know, those avenues. So. Cool. Okay. So, so let's, let's dive into the weeds a little bit more about the, the devices. So we've been talking a lot about um, Clover. Patty mentioned um, point and packs a second ago. Um, tell our audience what devices, you know, what ecosystems, you know, is this currently available in? And then also I would assume that there's probably some differences in terms of even maybe the data you can get from some of these different devices. So walk us through that a little bit, some of the details for our audience that maybe doesn't sell Clover. Yeah, definitely. So um, we obviously always gravitate towards Clover because a lot of restaurants after COVID right. they went online, data collections gone through the roof. Um, but when you get into retail, you know, we usually encourage our sales partners um, to kind of get a little more creative. And, you know, we do see tremendous results in both. I want to be clear on that. Like we literally have jewelry stores that have a thousand plus emails in our database. That tends to be a very slow paced environment. Um, but when you get into um, retail, you know, we always encourage folks to be creative. So like, you know, just one example of that would be like, if you have a service-based business, maybe it's a high-end hair salon. If they're not doing like online bookings through their website, like that's a big opportunity from a data perspective. You know, there's so many apps out there that, you know, through Clover or through Point or Pax um, that you can just plug in appointments um, to where you can start getting that data flowing through Point and Pax. And then it's going to be automated table crunch where they can use that information to market back to their customers. So, um, you know, another example of that would be like a boutique um, point and, you know, like packs, they have a lot of different integrations like WooCommerce and like WordPress to where maybe they're not selling their products online. Um, so, you know, as an agent or ISO, you know, your job is to bring value to your merchants. So uh, we always say with retail, you know, get a little more creative, but then, you know, inevitably, everybody on a smart device, they're already collecting emails because people will just want sure. an email for an email receipt. So if they're not, you know, hands on, um, you know, they're still going to be collecting emails where the product's still going to, you know, excel in those environments. Um, but, yeah, it's been interesting after, you know, COVID, just data collection in general, it's gone through the roof. So it's been a kind of right time, right place for yep. us. And exciting. Yeah, I, I, I see that point. I mean, you know, it's really the only way they can communicate efficiently yeah. anymore, right? Yeah, um, hey, let's talk about the um, the economic model here, if you don't mind, you know, yeah, the margin definitely. piece, you know, I know, yeah. I realize that you probably can't get really specific. Um, but, you know, I was hoping maybe you can help our audience to understand, you know, how they how the, the, the margin piece works, you know, how do they make money? And, yeah. and how does the merchant pay for this? Yeah, so like most commonly, like just to start with, like our target kind of profile client is like an ISO with, you know, minimum 100 um, integrated merchants. That's not to say that we don't work with agents because we certainly do, um, but we really structure it as more of like an opt out. So I think we've all okay. seen opt out programs in the industry. Mm -hmm. I always like to reference like Wompley 
Um, you know, that was like 20 bucks a month that would get, you know, build on the merchant processing statement. Um, our service is a little different in the sense of you kind of got to think about, you know, the merchant of like who we're catering to, right? So like okay. Wompley, I would argue they kind of catered more to the merchant using a brick credit card terminal. Whereas we're really catering to the merchant that um, may be considered a little more of a, you know, sophisticated merchant from a tech savvy standpoint because they're, you know, someone that opted to buy Clover or sure. Packs or, you know, point like an actual smart terminal. Um, so that's a big part of it. But, um, you know, generally speaking, the way that we're going to structure the actual economic part is um, like the ISO is going to tell us, you know, how many actual integrated merchants they have. And then from there, we're just going to extend a license fee depending on volume back to the actual ISO. And then we kind of work together um, to announce the program. So we'll draft an email where we're announcing the partnership with TableCrunch. And then it's basically going to say you're going to be auto enrolled into the service. If you want to opt out, you know, just respond to this email. From there, we'll kind of get a final headcount. And then they'll actually enroll the merchants via the processing statement. And then we just build the ISO license fee. That's by and large the most common. But then, you know, we have different models with like agents. For the most part, the agents just go into the marketplace and connect it. And they kind of use it as a tool to help them, you know, sell Clover if they're going up against Toast or Square that has similar automated marketing. You know, it helps them give get more arsenal to compete. So, so you're billing the you're billing the ISO, and then the ISO is marking that up to the merchant. Correct. Yeah, they're usually going to bill it through the merchant processing statement. Okay. okay. Yep. Great question. Yep. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that a little bit more. So the opt out, um, we haven't talked about that very much on the podcast actually, and. Yeah. It's one of those kind of uh, little secrets that a, a lot of the industry doesn't understand. You know, they, they see these big ISOs that are just making so much money. Um, mm -hmm. This is one of the ways that they do that, right? So they're looking for value ads, they're looking for things that are genuinely going to be appreciated by the merchant. Um, and then they're just saying, hey, we're going to add this. You don't want it. That's fine. You, you can get out of it. Yep. Um, but what I have found, John, is the ISOs I've worked with and consulting, I'm always advising them to find creative ways to do things like this because for obvious reasons, we're all capitalists here. So trying to make money and we're trying to make the merchant account stickier, give them things that they're going to like. Yep. But as I talked to them, many of them have said, well, we don't want to do that with our Clover merchants, right? So what'll happen is they'll get some, you know, hey, there's a new dashboard. There's a new gateway. There's a new, you yep. know, whatever it is, right? And it's like, well, we can, we can do this opt out for all of our mids except for the 600 Clover accounts. Because with Clover, you know, it doesn't work with Clover. And so most of these little opt-outs that I've seen, it's kind of like excluded. And so I think there's actually a lot of kind of latent demand there where the ISOs are like, oh, man, we." it's interesting to me that it's like, you know, the, they're, the like 500 accounts that are the most locked in and the, and the least likely to cancel yeah. are the ones that they're never adding any fees to and they're never growing the margin. Um, so I think this is the kind of thing that, you know, those ISOs are going to latch onto to say, wow, okay, finally we can do an opt out yeah. right for our Clover right. merchants and get things going. So, um, I think that's fantastic. I love what you're doing there. Um, you know, and then, and then of course, like the agents that you mentioned, I mean, a lot of them, because of the way they're selling it, they can price it more like at market. They're not doing an opt out. They could, I would assume they would price it more at market the way like a, a drip or a, a MailChimp is priced. Yeah. That's actually pretty high like you can actually make a lot of extra yeah. margin on this right oh totally i mean we have you know customers paying 149 a month and they don't complain because they see right. the roi i mean you can log in and see that you're making more money than you're spending right and obviously they got to calculate their own margins and stuff but right. um, you know it's not uncommon like you know most isos frankly they're going to charge 29 per month 
um, which is a little higher than what we've seen with, you know, systems like Wombly, but we argue that, you know, it's a little more valuable of a service because of the ROI component. And then, you know, with the opt out, if people call in and they want to cancel, it's just a great opportunity to say, Hey, before you do that, you know, let's show you that, you know, what you have here. Um, And then a lot of them will, you know, move forward with it. But um, you're absolutely right. I mean, we wanted to go in a different direction. We don't want to go catering to the merchant that wants a brick terminal because they're not interested in technology. We want to cater to the folks that have chosen um, to use technology because they're the ones that are going to be more um, open to adopting a program like that. Yeah, they'll they'll find it so much more valuable for sure. Um, all right, hey, so at so, this point, James, I think you ought to uh, mention the uh, ebook that, yeah, that let's, you, you guys did. Let's do that. So, um, for those of you who maybe they don't even know on the podcast, we created something called the Merchant Sales Insight. Um, it's something that we try. We we haven't committed to doing it weekly yet, so I, I don't say it's a weekly publication because um, it's but a, a lot regular of work. publication. It's a regular publication. Uh, we ch- tend to do them three four weeks in a row, and then take a few weeks off, and then three or four weeks in a row. But uh, we'll eventually get it to where it's weekly. But um, the Merchant Sales Insight is kind of like an online ebook, I guess, uh, almost like a little e-magazine. Um, and we actually did one of these with Table Crunch. And I created a special link just for this episode. Uh, so if you go to ccsalespro.com slash table crunch, all one word, all lowercase, table crunch, just like it sounds, ccsalespro.com slash table crunch. That'll take you right to the page where you can download the ebook. And this is where John and I both dive into a lot more detail about kind of email marketing. Um, Patty helped us with this as well, doing research on data. And so we all kind of work together. So we're very proud of that. Um, I think it's something that, you know, again, I think I think a lot of times in, in, in an industry, it's easy to get super excited about all the, the bleeding edge technology stuff. You know, it's like, oh, we want to talk about crypto and all that. Well, yeah, but hold on a second. Like all of your merchants understand email marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. They all believe it's valuable if it's done right. They're all ready to pay for that. So they're like all sell that. For help. Yes. So yeah. So ccsalespro.com slash table crunch. Um, that's where you can go to download that ebook. I would definitely encourage you to do that. Um, and then John, I have one last question for you. So you've had kind of an interesting path, right? In the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, one that frankly, a lot of people in, in our audience would identify with. I mean, you were kind of a just, you know, general, you're out there selling a general salesperson out there. And then you've kind of transitioned into this technology company, all that. So what advice, you know, what have you learned for those that are maybe like, Hey, I'm in the industry too. And I love technology and I'm thinking about, I should start something. I should do something. What's your advice to them or any things you would do differently or just any insights that you want to share? How much time do you have? <laughs> um, so I think the number one piece of advice, if you're thinking about building a technology platform with really no experience is make sure that you validate a product to market fit before you write a single line of code. Um, that is probably the biggest mistake that we've made with sure. Table Crunch. Um, a lot of the listeners don't know this, but I know James, you know that we started out as like a social media advertising platform. Right, I remember. We integrated to Facebook and Instagram. And ultimately, it was a really cool product and it worked. But kind of what we found was nobody really wants to sell a product where you can go to the merchant and say, hey, you're going to pay $29 for this product, but then you got to spend $200 a month through Facebook. And that was really the um, biggest problem. And that, along with onboarding, just took too long to onboard. Um, So ultimately, we were lucky in the sense that we had the email component, which um, everybody just seemed to be gravitating to without much influence from us. You know, they were going in and just using it. Um, So ultimately, it ended up being successful. But, you know, had I have gone to market and really validated that product market fit, you know, interviewed people more, say, hey, how much are you willing to spend on Facebook? Um, We probably would have saved a lot of money and a lot of time. So that's probably my number one advice. And it's actually funny you ask, because 
we're uh, getting involved in a new software and technology um, venture where it's a QR code, like ordering contactless ordering system for restaurants. And I was like, before I dive into this, um, I need to know this is validated. So we did a lot of research and found out that it's really prevalent in Europe. So that was kind of the validation right. I need to think, okay, we can move forward with this. So yeah. don't do anything until you know you got product to market uh -huh. fit because if yeah, you don't, yeah. you'll never get distribution. But if you do have product to market fit, distribution will come and that's what it's all about in retail. So it's it's not one of those if you build it, they will come. It's, yeah, exactly. if, if they will come, you shall build it. That's what people <laughs> think when you know they're early on, you're naive. Um, sure. you learn a lot when you start building you know, technology yes. and um, yeah, it's really important. So yeah. I love that. It's such great advice. And I think John, isn't it interesting how we can be so biased of our own ideas, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. amazing how many people I talk to on the consulting side. And, and I mean, I believe me, I made the same mistake. I have all these developers and um, yep. you know, so many times I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a really good example. Some people in the industry know that we have, uh, I have a different company called CC storage where we built software for storage companies, right? Mm -hmm. And it's done fairly decent, but nowhere near what I thought it would do. And it was like, you know, my bias was all these small self-storage companies are not even accepting credit cards, right? Right? Of course, they're just going to all want this. Let's spend 50,000 and build sure. it, right? <laughs> um, turns out they don't accept credit cards for a reason. They don't want to, you know? Um, and so, you know, to your point, yeah, what I've learned as well, same as you, it's like, you can always do that survey. You know, there's, there's really no, um, I don't think there's really any substitute for just you personally as the entrepreneur going out and talking to potential clients about what you're going to build. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they love it. Have an honest conversation. You know, you say, oh, I've got, you know, and even some of you, it's like you're thinking about a new point of sale system that you want to sell to pizza shops. Well, before you spend three months learning that thing and figuring out how to sell it, go walk into seven or eight pizza shops and say, look, I'm not here to sell you anything at all. I'm thinking about carrying a new, you know, point of sale system for pizza shop owners like you. And the main thing that sets it apart is X. Would you find X valuable? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have to accept you know? what they say. I mean, I think right. a problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have is no offense to anybody here, but is <laughs> ego, right? Yeah, and hey, I'm really smart. I know what right. I know that this will be really good. Right. But if you go into the pizza shop and they're like, you know what? X isn't what I really care about. It's Z. Right. Uh, you have to accept that and right. go back to the drawing board. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree. It's, you're right. Sometimes people don't, they're not willing to accept the feedback, but that's why you get it. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So the, so the importance is get some feedback and then actually listen to the feedback that you get before you, uh, especially if you're building a technology platform and you're about to pay, you know, two developers, $10,000 a month for six months to build it. Yep. Um, that's a, that's a big deal. So, okay, John, this has been fantastic. As always, I love the information. Um, again, ccsalespro.com slash table crunch, all lowercase, all one word, go there to download the ebook. But for those in our audience who uh, maybe they already downloaded the ebook or they just want to go directly to learn more about you or to learn more about table crunch, where would you send them? Um, probably just our website's the best resource, just www.tablecrunch.com. Um, if anyone wants to email us, uh, you know, drop us a line, just members at tablecrunch.com. Um, phone numbers on the footer of the website. And then we also have a form on the homepage. If you want to get a product demo, just learn more about Table Crunch, um, just fill out that form. That's probably the best way. Awesome. awesome. John, thank you so much for the information and taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, yep. this has been thank really you. great. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Bye. So, Patty, I'm really excited about a live event that I've got coming up uh, with our sponsor, NMI, and yes. a company called Stacks. Now, 
some in our industry may not know Stacks. It was called Fat Merchant before, mm -hmm. um, and uh, they have become an incredibly valuable ISO and what we would call, what NMI would call a next-gen ISO, meaning right. an ISO that has embraced payment integration with technology mm -hmm. um, in a way that really makes a lot of sense and has empowered their growth. Um, if you have any aspirations of growing your portfolio in this industry mm -hmm. and doing so in a way that's future-proofed, um, you want to become that next generation type of ISO that embraces technology while right. still understanding that you're a payments company, but embracing technology, you really need to be part of this event. Uh, we have um, you know, uh, several people from NMI that are going to join us. We have um, the CTO from Stacks going to talk about. So we have a lot of interesting information. Um, so go to ccsalesforcom slash NMI. You can register for the event. It is going to be on October 19th at 10 a.m. Eastern. So it's a little bit of an earlier event. Obviously, we'll have a replay as well. Right. Um, but October 19th, 10 a.m. Eastern, go to ccsalespro.com slash NMI, and you can register for that event right now. Excellent. Thanks, James. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So this week we're doing something just a little different with the questions in the field. We are actually going to hear a question from the field. So I talked to somebody about this concept of marketing, um, generating leads through online marketing and how an individual agent can take advantage of that. So without further ado, we're going to transition over to a video that I recorded um, a little bit earlier on in the week uh, with an agent specifically answering their questions. So James, uh, question I had here is, I know with the industry, a favorite prospecting methods of, you know, door knocking is right. seems to be number one, right? Cold calling mm -hmm. and then, you know, referrals of fear. It, that seems to be any business's, you know, main prospecting. So what I wanted to know, and I couldn't find this and not a lot of talk in the group is, what, what is your advice on prospecting via online, either through a website where you're driving traffic, uh, email uh, marketing campaigns, and even social media ads. Sure. Um, so I'm just trying to see yeah. Um, yeah. what your advice is and experiences as far as generating traffic from an online source rather than traditional ways in this yeah. industry. Sure. So I think you. Know, I think the first thing that I would say, David, is you know, zooming out a little bit. Everybody looks at this issue as very much a, a one or the other type situation. So it's like, do we do you know over the phone or in person, or do we sell online? And what I've seen that's most effective is actually bringing those two worlds together in some way, right? So the idea is what we really want to do is we want to leverage our online, you know, traffic ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, whatever it is, email marketing. We want to leverage that to increase the amount of face-to-face -face or over-the-phone human conversations that we can have. So mm -hmm. I think what you'll find is trying to convert people into customers entirely over the internet, right? in merchant services is very difficult because, you know, uh, you're asking for social security numbers, you're asking for a lot of information, right, at some point. And so it does get really challenging, but you can use really creative approaches to leverage online traffic to generate leads for yourself. So then the question is, 
How do we do that? How do we generate leads? The biggest difference, in my opinion, between going online versus in-person and over-the-phone marketing is that you can be so much more targeted online, right? Because if I'm going to go out face-to-face, it's kind of difficult, really. Like I talk about a lot on the podcast of like, just go to all the hair salons, you know, or all the pizza shops or all the auto repair. But it's like, I say that, and you certainly can do that. It's a good strategy, but it is kind of difficult. You know, you got to drive a long way if you're only going to go to hair salons or if you're only going to go to auto repair. Like that's why a lot of people, when they go door to door, they walk into every business on the street because it's just more efficient. Um, If I'm running Facebook ads or, you know, something like that, well, then it becomes a lot easier to say, I only want to target people with an interest in, you know, hair salons, beauty, um, pizza shop, whatever it is. Right. So, um, so I think number one is understanding that you're going to be targeting a lot more specifically. And then lastly, with this, you're going to target more specifically, and then you're going to have to be more creative as well. So when you're right in front of somebody, you have their attention. When you're online, you can't assume that you have the person's attention. So you have this two-step thing where you got to grab their attention and then you have to tell them something that's going to make them interested. You have to do both of those things. Whereas when you walk into a business, just walking in, like I'm standing in front of you, like your phone is ringing and you picked it up. Like I have your attention. I may not have it very long if I'm not a good salesperson, but I have your attention at that moment. Well, if somebody's scrolling through Facebook, it's not a given that you have their attention because you're running a Facebook ad. You actually have to do something really creative. So I think the keys to it is really targeted and really creative. So making that practical, I know we were talking before we started recording about rate tracker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, solutions like rate tracker where, you know, that for those that don't know what rate tracker is, it's where the merchant can actually log into their bank account through rate tracker and it will track their credit card processing rate and show here's what you've paid every month for the last three months, your effective rate. Um, you know, you can use things like that. You can use all kinds of different things for me personally my go-to is always content. So I'm a, I'm a content creator. That's my gift. That's what I do. So when I was selling merchant services full-time, I would run ads in my local market to people that are interested in business or small business. And I would run an ad with like a free ebook download. And I mentioned it on, on some different podcast episodes where like I would try to do really creative things. So I'll give you an example. One time I partnered with a, um, a CPA in my market and you know somebody had a lot of uh, reputation, you know, good reputation in the market. And I was like, hey, let's work together on an ebook, right? About controlling payment processing costs, you know? And it was like my picture with his pictures on the cover of this thing. We have a nice little cover art. We run a Facebook ad with a lead form, download this free ebook, right? Give me your business name. All I really, that's the other thing too, is all I really needed was business name because I can Google it. I had the business mm-hmm. name, you know? And then I would try to get phone number and email, you know, get the email, send them the ebook. And then what do I do after that? I walk into the business right? Or I call the business and try to schedule an appointment. So to me, the key is about finding something creative that you can do um, and then targeting somebody very specifically certain business types or targeting your market with something really creative like content. Um, Last piece, and then I'll see if you have any follow-up questions, but the last piece that is like so important that it, you know, is the targeting. Um, It's the hardest part right? I could give you like a million creative ideas that you could grab the attention of somebody with a Facebook ad, but it's not going to grab the attention of the wrong person. You know what I mean? So we can make something that a business owner would be like, oh, that looks awesome. But if you're showing your ad to a thousand people and only five of them are business owners, that's not going to be a successful campaign. And unfortunately, there's no way to go on Facebook 
and say, at least maybe not that I know of anyway, there's no good way to go on Facebook with a cold audience and say, I want to only target business owners. That's really challenging. You know, you can target people with an interest in small business or an interest in business, but those could just as easily be employees of a business. That doesn't mean they're the decision maker. So again, this is where that marriage of the in-person or the over the phone with the online comes in. What I started realizing um, really quickly. So I, when I started there, there was no Facebook ads, you know, so I started, you know, 12 years ago, I couldn't do Facebook ads. Um, I couldn't do Instagram ads or any of that. So I started off with email marketing. And when I say email marketing, I mean, when I walked into businesses or called them on the phone, I got their email address, you know, and I started building it up. Well, for me, where that really paid off, I, I made a lot of money from my email list. But where I really made a lot of money was when I realized at one point I had like 700 emails. I was able to upload those 700 emails to Facebook as a custom audience and say, target these people. And then I was able to say, find all the other people in my area using a lookalike audience, find all the other people that are similar to these people. And Facebook is pretty good at that. So that's where it really paid off with just being able to target it. So again, I'd say it's really get, get narrow with the targeting, um, get really creative with what you're going to do using something like a rate tracker or a content strategy, or um, even like a petition, you know, I love doing petition type stuff, but you got to get something creative. It's going to grab their attention and get them to give some information. Um, and then number three is you got to think through the targeting, whether that's, you know, more of a broad targeting of people with just an interest in small business um, or by actually getting that narrow targeting of your email list on Facebook and or the lookalike audience from that email list. Nice. Awesome. And uh, I think you you hit it on the head. And I'm, I'm not here to uh, just solely do online uh, marketing. Right. And exactly what you mentioned is is uh, marrying the, the leveraging the online technology to maybe set up an, a phone call or a, fo- a face-to-face, right? Right. So, um, so that's kind of what my objective is right now. And it's basically trying to magnify what you would do, um, you know, in a normal daily basis, say you're doing, you know, everybody always, you know, plays the numbers game and says, I got to make, you know, 200 outbound calls or, you know, I got to send a certain amount of emails, you know, those touches obviously matter. Right. Right. But, um, you know, I know with the online part and content really what is, is what you brought up and was, is the most important part I think here is that when you're online, um, that attention uh, is just so small that, you got to grab that attention first and you're not going to set that appointment up on the first shot. So that's why I think a lot of people, um, older people in the industry think that, uh, okay, I'm going to send off one ad or right. I'm going to shoot off one email and right. uh, it didn't work. I sent it yeah. off to a thousand people and, you know, I got right. one response and, yeah. you know, so there's a lot of variables that go wrong yeah. in that, but it's not a one contact yeah. sport, you know, no. you got to follow up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, David, what's really interesting to me is, um, you know, fame in our society today has become a really interesting commodity. And so like for me, you know, all the money that I make right now is because I'm really famous to people who sell credit card processing. Like that's ridiculous. Like that's not really famous. You know, it's not like I walk down the street and people know me, but it, it in my little niche, I've become really famous and I leverage that fame to be able to sell to people, right? I sell my statement analysis service. I sell my training. I sell, you know, uh, advertising, like all these distributions that I have are from that. And what's interesting is, you know, people, I don't think realize that fame is for sale in any niche or any market, if you have the right stuff, you know? So if you're, if you really are somebody that could be a benefit to small business owners in your community, 
you can absolutely buy fame in your local market. And that's kind of the way I looked at it was, you know, I wanted to be famous among small business owners in my community. And, you know, I was famous as the credit card guy, you know, that's who I was back then. If I was selling full-time today, I would probably be the software guy. But, you know, the idea is you want to establish that. And that's where you can spend that money on advertising and not be quite so concerned to your point of, well, I did that one ad and I didn't get a lot from it. Well, yeah, but you did though. People saw your face. Mm -hmm. Branding. They saw that little video you did or whatever. Well, do that again the next week. You know, do it again the next week. Do it again the next week. And what will happen is within four, five, six months, of you spending a couple hundred dollars a week targeting people within 30 miles that have an interest in small business, you really can create that kind of fame to where you'll start walking into these businesses and people are like, hey, I feel like I've seen you before. Oh, you mm-hmm. probably saw my videos on Facebook. And it's like, oh yeah, like you can't even put a, a number on that in terms of how much more likely you are to close that sale. Um, and so again, leveraging the online and, and the offline kind of together um, is, is just super powerful for sure. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think another point is the um, the omnipresent approach of, you know, being in multiple places in different uh, yeah. multiple places. And um, for instance, um, email marketing, you know, I, I'm, I'm setting up an email marketing campaign right now for the uh, rate tracker yeah. uh, and I'm trying to leverage that tool to get people to sign up. I'm not trying to, you know, sell them on credit card processing. It's basically sure. a branding play to where I'm introducing myself, introducing the tool, but I'm leaving a, a way to follow up. Um, you know, and, and leaving that open door for them, but who's to say that that person just exactly, and I'm going to go back to what your example was as far as that custom audience, because I call that, um, flying the plane with the blindfold off really, you know, because, you know, right. you're going into Facebook right. and you're trying to target everybody, but, you know, give, give yourself a head start and actually have a target. So, right. you know, using that custom audience, but with, layering it onto a, a holistic strategy of, you know, multi-channel say, lay for instance, you start off with an email marketing campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden you got that custom audience to where they seen you through email right. and now you've seen your Facebook ad to that same audience, right? Yep. So now you got two separate channels that your audience has seen you on and right. you can stop there. You got their, you got their business, you got their phone call. You could even drop in if you're right. advertising local and say, Hey, I just, you know, I've been following up. I sent you an email and they're going to recognize you if they see you so yeah. many times. And so yeah. it's all it is, is basically leveraging online to where people are and getting their attention and being able yeah. to shove your brand in their face you yeah. know, and give yeah. them that message, whatever it is that, that you're using, it's a tool or a download. Right. And um, yeah. yeah, I just think that bringing those worlds together, like you said, is, yeah. is that's all I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. I'm not trying to sit here and re, you know, you know, design the industry on online closing transactions online only. I know I realize that relationship, you know, with the software and the day-to-day and those transactions happen every, you know, just about every five minutes or, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on the volume of the business, you're going to need somebody, you're going to need somebody in person. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not trying to, you know, in any way, you know, restructure that, you know, (laughs) that prospecting method of, you know, door knocking. I I, I realize that, but in, you know, what happened with COVID, you know, this could have been a really good, um, yeah. you know, if somebody well, think, had that advantage to, yeah, I think to actually keep that. I think going. there's a lot of people in the industry that just haven't yet figured out 
you know, what can be done there. And I would even say, you know, for those that maybe are watching or listening and thinking, wow, this all sounds really complicated. This all sounds like, you know, I don't, I don't know, where do I go to do my Facebook ad and all that? You know, what's interesting is now you also have these platforms like upwork.com that I use all the time. Our staff uses all the time. Um, And so you go to upwork.com and find a Facebook ads expert. Hire them for 30, 40 bucks an hour. They'll run your ads for you. They'll help you figure out what to put in there. So a lot of resources, but ultimately great question. Um, hopefully our audience is going to start to embrace these concepts and uh, leverage fame, leverage notoriety that they can get on social media to really grow their business. So thanks, David. I appreciate the question. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So everybody, I wanted to talk today about uh, cybersecurity, particularly as it relates to digital wallets. Um, a, A team of cyber sleuths in the UK has figured out how to fake Apple Pay wallets, or more specifically, Visa cards in those wallets in order to pickpocket consumers. Wow. Okay. This is interesting. This is very interesting. It all ties back to something called the express transit mode that's in these wallets. Um, And it's a a setting created for small dollar transactions in public transit settings like subways. Okay. Basically, it allows folks to make contactless payments without unlocking their iPhones. But the team, which is made up of researchers from a UK cybersecurity um, council, said they were able to make large visa payments while iPhones remained locked using this mechanism, this transit mode mechanism. And the problem flows, they said, from a combination of flaws in the Apple Pay and the visa systems that um, does not affect MasterCard on Apple Pay, nor does it affect Visa on Samsung Pay. Hmm. So I, they, these guys actually, they released this paper last week and they had an online demo that I watched. It was very intriguing. Um, they were able to make a small dollar payment. I think it was like for five euros, which is what, hmm. maybe $6, something like that, right. without unlocking the iPhone. They did so by using a commercially available piece of radio equipment and an Android phone running an application that they had developed that was able to trick the iPhone into thinking it was communicating with a contactless terminal. (laughs) And because the iPhone thought it was communicating with a transit terminal, there was no need to unlock the iPhone. Now, the BBC, which is actually where I caught wind of this story, said they witnessed a demonstration involving a thousand euros, which is about eleven hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. That was completed without unlocking the iPhone. Oh. Now the British cyber sleuth said they uh, said the key to successfully launching such an attack requires close proximity to an iPhone, such as standing next to an iPhone user, or uh, coming into possession of a lost or stolen iPhone. This, now, here's the thing that really struck me. They, the team said that they alerted both Visa and Apple of the problem, but each company pointed the finger of blame at the other mm. and said it was their responsibility to fix, you know, the other party's responsibility to fix the problem. Huh. 
And wow. those alerts were given about a year ago, as well as earlier this year, according to the researchers. <laughs> uh, Visa, in a statement to BBC, said the attack, the attack was, quote, impractical in real life, that it could only be achieved in a lab. But um, the researchers said, yeah, maybe that's so right now, but left, left unaddressed, in a few years, it could become a real issue. And yeah. I would tend to agree with them because fraudsters are just as smart as we are and they're always looking for vulnerabilities. Right. Um, and, and the other thing is that the researchers said that in addition to notifying Visa and um, Apple, they also detailed how the problem could be fixed. But mm. as of late November, excuse me, late September, nothing had been done. Well, it'll, it'll be fixed very promptly once there's a big attack and... You know, right. everybody is a big Which news is, story. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean, so I just yeah. think this is really interesting. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I've been, I've been waiting for, for vulnerabilities in these wallets to start creeping out. And yeah. um, clearly yeah. there are people out there who are, you have been charged with finding these things out. And sure. I think it's incumbent upon these and Apple to do something about it. Yeah, I agree with you, Patty. Well, uh, I'm sure you'll be uh, letting us know here in the next year or so when the first attack happens and uh, shortly thereafter when they start fixing it. <laughs> when they announce their task force to yeah, fix this right? problem, they're going to oh, work yeah. together. Oh, gee, where did this come from? <laughs> uh, good stuff, Patty, as always. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.